Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hello and thank you for joining me again on Spirit Sisters the podcast. We're heading towards the end of January now and I'm slowly, ever so slowly, getting back into the rhythm of a new year. Hope you're easing into it as well. Now, before we launch into today's episode, I'd like to briefly mention a few things. Firstly, thank you so much to everyone who's supported this podcast since its launch in early 2019. Many of you have left me such lovely reviews and I want to let you know that I'm very grateful. Ratings and reviews are really the only way for others to find their way to the show. A couple of you have mentioned the audio issues that were a problem in some of the earlier episodes and I can only apologize for rookie errors. I'm so sorry about that. But hopefully most of those problems have been ironed out now. So thank you for sticking with me. I'd also like to say that Spirit Sisters the book is being re-released in its 10th anniversary edition at the end of January and I'm so so excited about this. I've written a new preface for it and I'm just thrilled to think that this beloved book, beloved of mine and of yours I, I think, I hope, will be able to find its way to a new readership. So that's enormously gratifying. Now you'll find the book wherever books are sold and if you're in Sydney, please do join me at Anna's Shop Around the Corner in Cronulla on February 2 at 3pm where we'll be talking all things spirit. Anna's got a beautiful little bookshop there in Cronulla by the beach and it'll be lovely to spend some time together there. Check out my Facebook page, Karina Machado Author, for more details. Speaking of Spirit Sisters the book, my guest today is Leonie Evans, whose story features in Spirit Sisters the book. Leonie is one of those unsung mediums in our midst who so fascinate me. With no fanfare, let alone any sort of big paycheck or publicity team, these women have a startling ability to see beyond the veil, something only their close friends and family tend to know about. In Leonie's case, a near-death experience at the age of five may have enhanced mediumship skills that had been apparent since she was at least three. You're about to hear about all of that and much, much more as Leonie joins us from her home in Sydney's West to reflect on a lifetime of encounters with the spirit world. Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Leonie. Thank you. It's nice to be back. It is so lovely to speak with you all those years after we took your lunch break in Hyde Park and we chatted and chatted and chatted in the sunshine. That was really nice. It was lovely, actually. Now, before we get into your story, I thought I'd begin by asking you about our initial contact and why it was important for you to reach out to share your experiences with me when I put that little uh, call out in the newspaper for stories for Spirit Sisters. I think it was important um, for me personally because while my stories are well known within my family and with a a certain amount of my friends, I thought if I was able to tell my experiences and share them that it would actually encourage other people and for them to know that they weren't alone, that this wasn't a one-off thing, that they're not crazy, that this is something that happens to a lot of people, whether it's spoken about or not, I think that was really important. It was more a, a, not so much about me being heard, but about encouraging other people to tell their stories. That's fantastic, Leonie. And I guess that's um, part of the reason why I started the podcast as well, because I kept on hearing that people were shy about speaking or felt that they'd be judged 
or, you know, they would preface their story just like they did all those years ago when I was researching the first book. You know, they would say, you're going to think I'm crazy or you're not going to believe me. And I just couldn't believe that I was still hearing that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And the thing is that some people will always think that you're crazy and that's fine. That's their perspective of things. And I can't begrudge them for that. But the thing is there are so many of us who have these experiences that it's important that we tell our stories to make sure that other people know that they're not alone. Couldn't agree more. And so after the book was published, how did you feel and what sort of feedback did you get from family and friends? I actually didn't tell my family. Ah. I told my family. They found out because one of my sisters happened to be home. She was in she lives in WA. And she saw us launch the book on Carrie Ann. And all of a sudden my phone cleared up from her and my other sister and another sister and Denise and why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us? And I was like, you guys already know this story. And they were like, yeah, we do, but we could have supported you through it. And I was like, "Mm, you know, it's okay. But the one odd thing that I do remember my my boss at the time that I had to ask for time off to go on carrying air yes I asked the morning off and David a lovely lovely man and a Christian man and he sat down with me when I asked for the morning off and he said you know you're opening self yourself up for ridicule and I went that's okay And he said, you know, that this could be really quite damaging for you personally or, and I said, David, this is my truth. Yeah. So I'm really happy to share it. And I said, no, I'm I'm willing to to cop anything that comes my way, but I didn't cop anything bad. That's great to know. And um, just for the listeners, uh, in promoting Spirit Sisters, I went on the Kerry Ann Kennelly show with... Mm -hmm. Leonie, and with another one of my interviewees, Angela Wood, who told the story of losing her daughter, Anna Wood, to an ecstasy overdose in the mid-1990s. So the three of us went on and it was quite a, it was, I was a bit nervous, but I think we got through it. We got through it, didn't we, Leonie? We did. We got through it quite well, actually, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Okay, well, let's begin telling For anybody who's listening to the Spirit Sisters podcast and hasn't read the book and doesn't know your story, you are in for a treat. The first line of Leonie's story, as I wrote it in Spirit Sisters, says, Leonie Evans died three times. So let's start here. So you were clinically dead as a newborn. Now, I know you don't remember that, Leonie, but what actually happened? Do you know, so were you born not breathing? What what happened there? No, this was, I was... I, I was born, I was fine, I was healthy. I contracted Golden Staff. Ah, yes. In the hospital. Okay. And they brought me back. My sister, who was born in the same hospital, also contracted Golden Staff four years before me. But as far as I'm aware, my sister Cheryl didn't have, um, well, she didn't need to be brought back, so I assume that she didn't pass. I know I was only like four five, six days old, managed to revive me and get me back. Okay, so that was the first time. Now, (laughs) when you were five years old, you had an accident or you were involved in an accident. Hit by a car. Yes, you were hit by a car. Please take us back to those moments. Firstly, just before it happened, set up the day for us, what, what you can remember before it all. What can I remember? I was five years old. I was at a friend's house and she only lived like on the diagonal corner opposite where we were. I'd been over there after school for a play date. We lived on quite a busy secondary road and her mother walked me across the road and apparently in my five-year-old wisdom, I went, I'm a big girl now, I can cross the road on my own. So I crossed the road back to their corner And then as I was crossing the road to get back home, that's when I was hit by the car. And ironically, the car that hit me was being driven by my best friend in school's father. So it was 
then that the the initial impact had taken me. And I remember I, I could really clearly see from the advantage of some sort of height that I could see myself lying on the road, my parents running out of our gate to the accident site. I could see my father in his uniform. He was a soldier. He was holding me and there was a dead pigeon on the road and he was screaming at somebody to move it, to move it. And my mother was quite hysterical and yet I just felt so very calm and removed. And it was at that point that I realised I was standing on, sounds very odd, but it was like I was, I was above it, I was looking down, I was watching this scene, I was watching the ambulance people get out, and this was long before the days of paramedics, and, and I had this being next to me, and I can't describe it any better than that. That's who she was, and she had this flowing auburn hair, and she had this shimmering gossamer gown. It sounds bizarre. But I could also see my two grandmothers who had passed behind me. And there were no words passed, but my questions were being answered. And I remember saying to this beautiful lady, what happens if I don't go back? And she said, they will learn to live with it, but they will never get over it. And I could see and hear their distress quite clear, quite clearly. Like they were holding the youngest and there was blood from my head and my father had blood all over his uniform. My mother was in hysterics and she had blood all over her. And and I knew that if I'd spoken to my grandmothers that they would have answered me, but they were like, we're here if you choose not to come. If you, if you choose not to go back, we're here. We've got you. And, oh, and I remember looking at this, I, I will always call her the beautiful lady. I, I remember looking at her and, and saying, I, I should go back. I should go back. I think I need to go back. And the next thing you know, I came to an operating table while they were stitching my head back together. And what, what's your memory of that moment of coming to? I remember the doctors being very surprised. <laughs> 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 and I was put under again very quickly. But my memory was waking up to the bright lights in 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 a in a surgery, and that's when I I was like, whoa, okay, and and they were like, well, she's awake. No, she shouldn't be awake. <laughs> my goodness. So you had a head wound. Yeah, yeah. Head injury. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I actually have deafness as a result of that accident in my left ear. So okay. yeah. Okay, and in that moment that you awoke on the table, did you remember the NDE, the experience with the lady and your grandmothers? To be completely honest, I think I remember the calm from, from the beautiful lady. I remember the calm. Um, it wasn't until a couple of days later at home and I was looking at the photos of my grandparents that my mother had up in the house and I was stroking them and I was stroking them and and my mother said what are you doing and I said yeah they were there they were there and my mother being a seer herself and she was like okay do you want to talk about it and I'm like no I'm fine so I was very lucky that I had a very understanding mother wow yes okay so your mum had had experiences herself as well yeah and my father also but he didn't really speak about his experiences the way that it was more, much more open on my mother's side of the family. It is often passed down. And so, so am I to gather that you hadn't met your grandmothers, that the first time? I hadn't met one. Okay. She had died 12 years before I was born, but my father's mother had only passed 12 months before. But I recognised my mother's mother from the photo that we had up in the lounge room. So I remember it really clearly. And is there anything else that stands out to you from that near-death experience apart from the beautiful lady with the auburn hair? Oh, the peace, the peace, the no noise, the, the acceptance, the, oh, I have no fear of death because of that. 
Mm. Absolutely none. I have no fear of death because if that's the peace and the love that I can feel in, in, in a moment and if that's my eternity, I, I'm happy. And I think everybody should be if that's, if that's the gift that we're given on the other side. And I think that may be the gift of the NDE and the importance of sharing these stories, which you touched on at the beginning, Leonie, is to, in a way, pass on that piece. A hundred percent. I think it's it's really important. I, I, I don't think I've yet to hear an NDE that speaks of horror or fire and brimstone, if you want to put it that way. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. I've only ever heard of an overwhelming sense of peace. Mm. And even even if you do hear of those ones with the negative overtones, in the ones that I've read anyway, there's a, with our free will, we're able to ask for help and then the scene changes. This is what I've read. And they go from those hellish realms into something really beautiful. So the, the message seems to be that, you know, we always have that option of asking for help. Wow, that's amazing because I've not spoken to anybody who's, I've heard of them but I've not personally spoken to anybody who's had that sort of hellish, inverted commas, yeah. uh, experience. So I'm I'm actually even more grateful now that, that that could be an availability to somebody who might not otherwise have that offered to them in the first instance. Yeah, and so with that first one as well and, We'll talk, obviously, we'll go into your other ones, but did you have a life review? Did you see, even though you were only five years old, so I I assume there wasn't that much to go over? I actually didn't have a life review. It was just I I was taken from where I physically was and I was put next to the beautiful lady with my grandmothers behind me and was told it was up to me whether I wanted to return or not. That, That was my experience when I was five. Yeah. So... I don't know, maybe I wasn't a naughty enough kid or <laughs> I think I pretty well was, but <laughs> I don't know, that wasn't my experience. Okay. Do you have any you thought have any on thought who the, the um, beautiful lady was? No, absolutely none. I, she, oh, no. But even thinking about her now, 41 years later, I still feel that sense of peace that she gave me. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not a religious person I don't have an angel belief I don't have a that sort of background but if there is such a thing as angels I'd say that's probably what she was now a decade would pass before your your next NDE but before we we jump to that I'd love to talk about what happened as you were at home recovering from this accident you know from your head wound at the age of five there was a lot that happened to you as you recovered in your bedroom there definitely was with my siblings all being at school I should mention I'm the youngest of five yes and by a significant amount of years and I would have this little troop of ghost children that would play hide-and-seek with me. I had bunk beds. My sisters and I had two lots of bunk beds in our bedrooms and we would sometimes pull the blankets down on the bottom bunk, which is where I was, and I would have my little friends play hide-and-seek and pull the curtains open and laugh and, and they would be playing and I couldn't play because I, I was I was too injured and but they would keep me entertained for days and days and days on end and there was this one older girl who would sort of keep them in line and and to be completely honest I actually suspect my mother knew really why do you think that mum's long gone now but she would hear me giggling and she would just leave me to it it was like she's fine it's okay she's getting looked after She's being entertained, and so long as I was giggling, I was still breathing. So Yeah. So tell us about these little spirits uh, visitors. How many of them were there? Oh, there, were, um, there was the old girl. I, I want to say she was somewhere around 12 or 14, and she, she would just like lean in the doorway and just wouldn't really participate, but she would round the little ones up. And there was four 
four or five of the little ones and they're all in their Sunday best. I remember that. Like the little boy, his shorts would be ironed to a, a razor-sharp crease and the ribbons in the hairs of the girls and and they were all around my age, some a little bit younger and some a little bit older and they would just keep me entertained yeah, they, they, would, they would just keep me entertained and I wasn't very um, mobile because of my injuries, but, yeah, they would keep me entertained and keep me laughing. So and that's what my mother always said. She could hear the, the laughter coming from my room. It wasn't just, I doubt very much, it was just my laughter she could hear. But, yeah, Ma would always say, oh, she could hear me laughing, that was enough, I was fine. I mean, the first thing I think of is that's a lot of kids in one room, in one bedroom. <laughs> It's a lot of kids in one room. It was even back then, believe me. And so let's talk more about what they were wearing. So I love how you describe them in their Sunday best and, the you know, that memory of the crease in the little boy's shorts is is so specific. Really specific. What time, what age, you know, uh, sorry, period in history do you think they were from? At a guess. um, I mean, at this stage it was the late 60s, but I get a very, very definite time period of the 50s which is when they passed and I don't know why I get that but even even now while I'm sitting here speaking to you and replaying it in my mind I'm definitely getting that 50s feel to how they were dressed and the way their hair was and the ribbons through the hair and it's a very 50s early 60s sort of thing. So not long before the time that you were in? Absolutely. I, the accident happened in 69. So, yeah, we're talking either mid to late 50s, maybe even early 60s, but there's not too much leeway there. And so do you believe that they were siblings or because obviously they're all past, what do you think happened to them? Or were they spirit children that this older girl, spirit girl, was in charge of for some reason? At a guess, and it is only a guess, I think there may have been some sort of connection. Perhaps they passed quickly with an accident, similar ages. And this is the first time I've actually been asked that, so I'm, I'm just putting this together now. I'm thinking these may have been children who passed quite suddenly, quite tragically, hit by cars perhaps, and that was our connecting. Oh. And she was sort of like there to make sure the radio didn't get completely out of hand. She was a slouchy... (laughs) Typical teen by the sounds of it. Yeah, she was a totally typical teen. But I suspect that that she also passed quickly now. Yeah, yeah, she passed quickly. I think think probably the common denominator for all of us was probably being hit by cars. I think that was it. And because I did pass and came back, that that connected us somehow. So they didn't communicate their story to you at all? No, no. Their laughter, absolutely, 100%, but not specific stories, no. Okay. Can you remember the first time that they appeared and what you thought? The first time I saw them, and remembering that I had quite a severe head injury, my sisters, before they had gone to school, had pulled the blankets down over the the bottom bunk that I was in and my first interaction with them was them actually pulling the blankets apart going hmm peekaboo and I went what and I went oh okay and it was that particular morning I, I had actually I remember I was nauseous and the headache from hell from being hit by a car these kids just brought me out of this very very morose and down and very depressed mood which is you know Five-year-old doesn't understand that. Me now understands it. And I think they played a really significant part in my recovery. Mm-hmm. I really do. It's and I think that's why they were sent. I was about to ask you, do you think that the, either your grandmothers or the beautiful lady with the auburn hair had anything to do with them being with you? I don't know who. Okay. I don't know who. And I, I, I certainly believe that they were sent I certainly believe they played a significant role in my recovery, but sent by whom? I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea, but I do believe that they were they were sent probably by the beautiful auburn-haired lady. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably by her, but I really don't know. But I do believe that they were definitely sent to aid my recovery, 100%. She might have been your spirit guide, the lady with the auburn hair. I would love to think that. I, I remember her so well. I could, if, if I could draw, if I had any talent, I could draw her. You should try um, and send it to me. I, I want to see. No, she's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I have no talent for art. But it's odd. That's the only time I've seen her. And while I, I do feel I've been guided within my life and with different situations, that's the only time I've ever seen her and it was so significant and it stayed with me now for over 50 years. Maybe she did send them, I, I don't know. But they weren't family, they weren't friends, they weren't anybody I knew. They were simply this troop of children who were sent to entertain me and I also think too, to be completely honest, to also help my mother because she was caring for my father and my four siblings at the time as well. And it was, you know, my father was a Vietnam vet. My brother had just been sent to Vietnam. My father was just to go back over to Vietnam. And I think that they actually came to take some of that stress off her, like she didn't have to sit by my bedside. It's very practical, think, yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, a, it, was, it was great. Um, but I think that was, it was more than just me, more than just helping me. It was about helping the family and making sure that the house still kept running and everybody was okay and I was okay and my mother not having to put in 24-7 just into me because there were four other children in the house and my father and really do believe that. When you, when you saw them, I'm just wondering if, as a five-year-old, you had any inkling that these were spirit children or if as oh, far as... Oh, you did know that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I certainly knew that my mother wouldn't have had that many kids in the house voluntarily. <laughs> yeah, true. Even while my siblings were at school. But, yeah, I, I didn't know them and I knew that my mother wouldn't have let anybody into the house that we didn't know. I think maybe at first I, I might have taken a breath and gone... What does mum organise some sort of gang or something? Yeah. But no, I don't think there was ever a time when I didn't realise that they weren't physically there in that sense. Okay. And in terms of how they looked to you, did they look like flesh and blood children or did they? Absolutely. Were, they did. Wow. Yep, flesh and blood children, absolutely. Yeah, there was no like seeing the dressing table through them or seeing the wardrobe through them. No, they were flesh and blood children. But when the older girl rounded them up, and they started walking up the hallway, that's when they started to become metaphysical and start to mist. And wow. instead of walking up the end of the hallway and out the front door, before they reached the end of the doorway, they dissipated. So it's such an extraordinary story. I've actually never heard anything like it, really. Yours is the oh. only one. This sort of troop of spirit helpers, you know, it's lovely. And it makes me wonder about the support that we have available to us in the spirit world, but only some of us are open enough to be able to see that for whatever reason that may be, you know. It's just a curious thing. It's a very curious thing. I think that, I mean, as a child, you're simply accepting of what's in front of you. It's when the elders get in front of you and start saying, that's not real. This And it's, it's like I've always used this as an example. The kids with imaginary friends, who's to say they're imaginary? Mm. It's only when the adults tell you that they're imaginary that you stop believing mm. and that's when they stop visiting. And you obviously had such a supportive mum, but did you tell her about your spirit visitors? I did, not until I was, honestly, I can't remember how far into my recovery it was, but I was in fits of hysteria and laughter and my mother came in and she said, what's going on? And I said, I'm laughing with the kids. And she just looked at me looked around the room and went, okay, and walked back out. Do you think she saw them? There's part of me that really hopes that she did. Yeah. And she was very gifted, so I suspect she may have, but not until they were maybe pointed out to her, if that makes sense. So they'd play hide-and-seek with you. What else would they do to make you laugh? Oh, Lordy. There was, do you remember that game Jacks? Yep. Yeah. They played Jacks. I wasn't playing with them but they would play jacks and I would listen to them bicker and 
and very jokingly bicker with each other and it was fun because I couldn't involve myself but they were, it was almost like they were doing it to entertain me. And do you feel like they were taking your mind off the pain and, and the loneliness? Very much so yeah. because I very much miss my, my sisters especially. You know, when you've got four sisters living in one bedroom, it's tight anyway. Yeah. But when they were at school, it was like the longest day. So I do believe that they were sent to aid my recovery and speed up the time where I could have been wallowing and I wasn't. So how long were you off school for, recovering in bed? Probably about six weeks before I went back to school. Okay. And were you bed bound that whole time? Not the whole time. I was completely bed bound for the first two weeks. But yeah, every time I was in the bedroom on my own, they would join me. Interestingly enough, Leonie, these weren't the first spirit people you'd seen. No. No, so which is amazing because if I think back to when I was five, I can barely remember anything. <laughs> but, but your memory goes back to when you were three years old and something yeah. that happened then. Tell us about that. I was sitting at the dining table colouring in. My mother was at the stove cooking. My mother heard me talking and she just thought I was jabbering like three-year-olds do. Then she realised I was answering somebody. I'd be like, yes, no, blue, pink, purple. And my mother turned around to see that, like, for example, I'd be like, yes, no, whatever. Then I'd say a colour. And my mother turned around to see whatever colour I just mentioned, that pencil being rolled towards me. Rolled towards you from the other side of the table. Yep, from the middle of the table. Oh, from the middle of the table, yeah. Yeah, she asked me who I was talking to and I went, the lady. <laughs> she said, which lady? And I well, I don't know. Mum very calmly has walked around the house and picked up photos of all of our dead relatives <laughs> who were women. She's put all these pictures in front of me and she's gone, can you see the lady? Yes. And it was her mother who had died 12 years before I was born. And I was very clearly having a conversation with my grandmother, my mother's mother, and mum was right. Right, okay, picked up the photos, put them all back where they belonged and went back to cooking. That's actually a really well-known tale in our family now. It's like if your children are speaking, just listen. Don't tell them to shut up if they're on their own. That's a really good piece of advice, especially in this modern age. Absolutely. And so, do you remember that as well? Do you remember this moment? I do remember the moment of having mum saying to me, Bub, who are you talking to? And I just went, the lady. And then having the pencil, Nana must have asked what colour next and I've blue, red, whatever colour I said and having that roll in front of me and that was when mum turned around and I do remember that really clearly. That's amazing. And what is super fascinating about your story and we'll get more into this is that you're not just seeing the spirit world, you're interacting. It's a very interactive experience. Very much you're so. Having, you know, and it shows this miraculous idea about how involved our late loved ones continue to be in our lives. And again, if we have access to that, like you do, and that's the great mystery why some of us seem to be able to have the facility and others don't. But gosh, there, there's so much to gain from having that access. There is, absolutely. I think a, a lot of it is from a very young age not being, for lack of a better term, poo-pooed when it, I think a lot of it is that. You're not crazy. You're really not. Maybe it's part of our brain that's switched on that isn't switched on for everybody. Yeah, I've wondered about that. I have too, many times yeah. over years. Because there have been times when I've, I've thought, you're completely insane. You are crazy. This is me speaking to myself. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I've just got a part of my brain that works that doesn't work in everybody. Maybe. I don't know. I've wondered the same thing because if we think of the brain as a filter that connects us to the, the great mind, the, the consciousness, then perhaps there is some, you know, something in your brain that is, as you say, switched on that isn't in others. I think anybody that has any sort of spiritual gifts, whether it's mediumship, whether it's being able to see spirit, speak spirit, read tarots, I think anybody who has any of those gifts and beyond, I think scientifically, generally speaking, we only use 10% 10, 10 of our brain. Something like that or a bit less. Yeah. Or a bit less. 
So I'm thinking there's 90% that isn't switched on. Maybe this is just switched on for some people for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe it is ancestral. Maybe it is heritage. Maybe it is Who being knows? hit on the head at five years old. And I think so long as you're aware of it and you're not frightened of it, because I think a lot of people are frightened of it, and that stops them from developing the thought of being different isn't good. I think being different is great, but a lot of people don't have that perspective. Yeah, no, certainly they don't. And as you say, there is a lot of fear attached. Absolutely. So you had that experience at three and then you had the amazing experience of the children, you know, when you were five years old, aiding and, yeah, aiding and speeding up your recovery, as you say. Absolutely. Now, your next near-death experience was at the age of 15. But before we, we go to that, was there anything of note that happened in between the ages of five and 15 that we should know about in terms of your spiritual development what other things you saw or, or heard or felt? Really just, without sounding weird, really just more of the same, just always being aware that there are always others amongst us. There is always, you know, when you feel that electricity, when you feel that, you need to stop and listen and focus and, and see what comes to you. Anything particularly, I can't say that there was anything really significant. There's been significant things all of my life but I don't have anything jumping out right now. Okay so Leonie please tell us about the third near-death experience you had when you were 15. I was hit by another car on the same corner as when I was five when I was 15. I do remember people working over me and the the NDA came with the school nurse actually administering my medication, but it was an overdose and that was because of the misprescription, misconscription, I think that's the right term. Oh, yeah, you were prescribed something you shouldn't have been. Yeah, and I don't do farm as well, never have, and that was when Jenny came into being. Okay, so before we start talking about Jenny, just so that we have it clear for the listeners, uh, what is the NDA? You said the NDA came? NDA. Oh, sorry. Um, Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. I, I was thinking. I was thinking um, the you know some the nurses district association or something. I just made a completely different association in my head. No, so, I do remember, and it, it's nowhere near as clear or as detailed as when I was five. But I do remember being worked over, and I do remember being brought back. But I didn't have the experience of the beautiful lady next to me, all my grandmothers behind me. Whether they were there or not, I don't know, but I don't have that memory. But you were still seeing your body from above. Absolutely. And the irony of it being on the same corner doesn't pass me by, especially being the corner next up from my family home. It's unbelievable. Like, what is going on there? (laughs) I don't know. I think it's a good thing that mum and dad have gone now and we don't go there anymore. Yes. I think it's a really good thing. Where was your home? Guildford. Guildford, okay. Yeah. In New South Wales? In New South Wales. Yeah, it was when I was in hospital recovering from from that accident that I was introduced to Jenny. Okay, so there's an amazing story here about Jenny. So describe Jenny. Jenny was a slouchy teenager. She was wearing blue jeans and a white T-shirt. She just hanging around slouching in doorways and against walls. It was really like a almost a James Dean sort of look, if you like. And um, except when they took bloods, then she'd be all over it like a rash, putting her head in between it and seeing what was going on. She was really interested in the bloods for some reason. I named her Jenny. I didn't know her name. Okay. I named her Jenny. I had no idea who Jenny was until many years later. Okay. So before we reveal that, so Jenny was a spirit child, a spirit teenager who you saw in the same way that you'd seen the troop of children. Yes. So you understood that she was a spirit girl in the hospital? 100%. Okay. And she had far too big an interest in me. I didn't understand it. So she was around you? Constantly. How long were you in the hospital? I was there for two weeks. Okay. So you just called her Jenny, as you say. Mm Mm-hmm. But then there is an incredible postscript to this. Tell us when you found out Jenny, when and how you found out Jenny's identity. I am full. Okay, so I had a miscarriage 
and I was speaking to my mother on the phone and she said, I know how you feel. And I went, what? And she went, I lost a baby between Norman and Avon. And I went, right. And and she said, and I, I, I named her and I named her Jenny. And I went, right. So that's who was around me when I was 15 in the hospital that time. And I was in my 30s when oh. I had this conversation with my mother. So Norm and Yvonne are your elder siblings? Yep. Okay, so Jenny was in between. Your mum yeah. had lost Jenny in between. So that would have made her how many years older than you? I think Norm is 12 years older than I am. Evie is eight years older, so it would have made her 10 years older. Okay. Yeah. And did you tell your mother about seeing the spirit girl Jenny? When I was in hospital, I had actually told a friend of mine's mother that I had a sister hanging around me and they'd come to visit me in hospital. My mother, my friend's mother had said to my mother, Leona keeps talking about a sister who's hanging around and my mother never said anything until we spoke about Jenny for the first time. But... She actually told me that my friend Sandra's mother told me that I told her that Jenny was hanging around me at the hospital. Okay, but she didn't actually speak to you about it until you had that shared experience. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In that moment when your mum told you that, did you tell her? Did you say, oh, mum, I saw? I actually said, why didn't you tell me? I didn't know who yeah. I was talking to. I, was, I wasn't angry with her, far from but um, I was very, these have been questions at that particular time in my life for probably close to 20 years that didn't have to be questions. So I was a little bit frustrated with my mother at the time, yeah. yeah. So mum kept a lot inside, as a lot of ladies of her generation do. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, there's no blame game or anything no. like that. It just would have been nice to have known. And especially when I found out that she knew and knew that I was talking about somebody named Jenny. Mm. What a bit nice. Times were different. And so Jenny was communicating with you, but again, through telepathy. What sort of things was she saying to you and what sort of things were you saying to her while you were in that hosp the hospital recovering? I was really confused because, like, when I was actually allowed out of bed and was able to go to the bathroom on my own and have a shower, she'd be waiting in there. And I'd be like, what are you? doing get lost pervert whatever <laughs> um it was it was an it was a very odd but it was also now that I think about it it was a very sibling teenage relationship to have why are you here get lost what are you doing here go away it was it was very much uh, um a very normal sibling relationship to have so you were it was almost like you were instantly comfortable 100%. But it was like, you know, bugger off. What are you doing here? Go away. Because she would literally be waiting for me in the bathroom at the hospital. I remember it really clearly. And then would she go away when you told her to? Yeah, yeah. And would she walk out the door like a person or would she vanish? It actually depended. There was actually, I think it was the first night I was having a bath after the accident and she was like, yeah, nah, not going. But she stood by the door but normally she just do the slouch thing out of the door but there was this one particular night and I have no idea why but it was the first night I had a bath that she actually didn't leave the room and it, like it's not like pervy thing or anything like that no, it was more it like was a care thing, a it care was, thing. Yeah, I need to be around just in case yeah and so yeah. again did she look like flesh and blood person to 100%, you 100 percent but not of that time not of that time. So what, yeah, what totally, time? Again, Jenny would have been born in the 50s and it was a little bit rebel without a cause, exactly the same. So, But Jenny had not actually had the opportunity to be born, is that right? Okay. Yep. So in some way, and there is a precedent for this, I've read about it and your own story includes overtones of this in a, in a later story, but it is as if she grew up in spirit. Right? 100%, 100%. But it was odd because when I saw her, she and I would have been very, very similar ages when I saw her for the first time. 
So it's almost as if she showed herself in a way that you could relate. A hundred percent. Yeah. was a nice thing. Um, yeah, wow, that is amazing. So there's almost a sense that you're, you know, like the, the other experience, it is almost as if the NDE or the accident triggers this ability to see the spirits in a really clear way and or, or enables this really uh, easy communication between you. I would not disagree with that at all. I hadn't ever thought about it like that before, but you're 100% right. I think there is something that opens that communication to, to make it easier for the healing. I really do. I should not be alive. <laughs> so, and there is absolutely nothing special about me in any way, shape or form. So I think that there's a reason I'm here. Given that you've just told us that, that you should not be alive, in fact, not long ago, you had another very serious accident, Leonie. When was that? Another that was was a car accident? three and a half years ago. Three and a half years ago. What, what happened there? So I had to throw myself out of a driverless car and it was on a property and the handbrake failed on the top of the hill, going down a hill. I was in the passenger seat. I tried to engage the handbrake. The handbrake was fully engaged. It actually failed. That was why the car started rolling. There was also a tradesman's trailer on the back of it, which weighed a ton. The car was headed towards a bank of trees and I just get out, get out, get out three times, somehow managed to get the door open and threw myself out. Did you hear the words get out or? Three times, clearly. Get out, get out, get out. The car actually missed the trees, but it ended up in a dam at the bottom of the property. If I'd still been in the car, I would not be here today speaking about it. Oh, my goodness. So how were you after that? I fractured my leg, broke my knee, blew my ACL, my shoulder, not so great, my neck, not so great. It was it was intense. <laughs> so you didn't have an NDE that time? No, I didn't. Thank goodness. Okay. And no I spirit. The next time they're going to take me. They're just going to say seriously, <laughs> go. <laughs> and what about any spirit visitors helping you in this recovery? The get out, get out, get out. Yeah. To me, car was yeah. not me. I don't know who it was. I would never have thought that at fifty-three I would have to throw myself out of a moving car. But it was clear. And it was audible, but I did not recognise the voice. Okay. It was a, a woman's or a man's voice, do you know? It was a woman's. Didn't sound like my mother, but it was definitely three times. Get out, get out, get out. And as soon as I heard it, it started scrambling to get the door open. I can't imagine having, I mean, you, that would have taken a lot of courage to do that, but it seems like the voice compelled you, told you it was the right Absolutely. thing to do. Absolutely, the voice. The voice was. I was so panicked internally, and it's one of the oddest things. Unless you've ever been in that position, which I hope nobody ever is, you don't know how you're going to react. But panic is so overriding. Like your heart is beating, you're sweating, and it's in such a short space of time as well. Like the car gathered speed really quickly, and the voice was just so clear over. The sound, it was raining that day over the sounds of the rain, over the, the sound of the, the car bouncing, over the, the sound of the trailer bouncing behind it. And it was just so very clear. It was just so very clear. And I'm forever grateful, whoever it was. don't know who, but whoever it was, I'm very grateful. But again, what comes across is the, the support from the spirit world and your connection with it and how they... You know, it's like going back to that first experience when you were five, you, you, you knew your grandmas were behind you. And it's yeah. like all through your life you know that they have your back. Someone has your back or some being. <laughs> peoples have my back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not sure who they are all the time, but peoples have my back. Oh. <laughs> and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely comfort to know that while you're in such a, a panic, and you are, it's a lovely comfort to know that somebody can get through that yes. and tell you what to do, take a hold and give you that little bit of calm enough to 
to go, you're right, I actually have to get out. Yep, yep. You acted on, on the, it sounded like a command. Yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a command. So speaking of the comforting aspect as well of the spirit world, when your your dad passed away in 1995 and then later when your mum passed away in 2000, you had some comforting experiences with their spirits. Did you want to tell us about those? With my dad, I couldn't see him until a couple of days after he'd passed. I was living interstate and by the time I got here, got up to Sydney, they'd already taken him to the funeral home. So it was a couple of days before we could see him. When we went to see him, I had two of my sisters and one of my nieces with me and I just wanted a moment after everybody had left on my own with him and it was just a moment. It was just no more than a couple of moments and I went to the door to turn the handle to go out and I heard so very clear in his voice, ta-da, bub, and he always called me bub, to the point where I went back over to him and I checked that he hadn't started breathing again. Back in those days, they used to stitch people's lips and there was a tiny little piece of um, material on his lip and it hadn't broken and I was just, it it was because I didn't get to say goodbye in person. It was like he was giving me that gift of me hearing his voice for the last time. That is just so beautiful, Leonie. Yeah, I shan't forget it, not ever. That is beautiful. And then when your mum passed, five years later, you had, a, a again, a very powerful experience but of a different kind. It wasn't a clairaudient experience, this one. It was something you saw. The best thing I can tell you about when my mother died, which probably isn't what you're expecting to hear, my mother always said that she didn't want to be viewed when she passed and she was very clear about it. And my sister rang me and said that my mother's sister and my father's sister wanted to go and see her and she was taking them to the funeral home. She said, do you want to come? And I said, no, mum was really clear. She doesn't want to be seen. My sister took my aunts to the funeral home and had called them ahead of time. So they had mum in the viewing room. And the viewing room had no windows and had a door, but the door wasn't lockable. They couldn't open the door. They had to call a locksmith to get the door open. My sister and my aunts are waiting. This unlockable door, it took a locksmith an hour to get it open. They ended up taking the door actually off. And my sister, Yvonne, had called me and she went, "Um, mum's not letting us in. And I said, well, she said she didn't want to be viewed, Evie. Why are you so surprised? It cost, I think it was about $500 to get the door open. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Mum didn't want to be viewed and she made it very clear. That is a great story. I've not heard anything like that either. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to our family. <laughs> Sounds like We're a little could, bit different. You could do a reality <laughs> show about the Evans. Oh, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you also saw a beautiful mist that you knew was your mum. My mum threw her mirror. When I brought my mother's dressing table up into my home after she had passed, and I was lying in bed and I was feeling completely distraught this particular morning. My mother's dressing table had this beautiful circular mirror over the top. And I watched a mist that was probably no more than six inches wide drift completely over the mirror to encapsulate it. It it took several minutes and I was just lying in bed, just bawling, just crying, just feeling very connected to her and and thinking that that was the only way that she could reach out at that time. And I looked, I looked above the mirror, I looked beside the mirror, I was looking everywhere to see if there was a cause for this and there wasn't. And I was just so grateful that she'd reached out the best way that she could at the time. It's interesting that even after a lifetime of experiences, you will still search for that rational explanation. Always. I always look for the bright lights, the headlights reflecting, the sounds bouncing. I will always do that, always, because it's not always spiritual. Sometimes it is just the world playing tricks on your mind. But when you when you look for the practical and you can't find it, that's when you know you've been given a gift. That's a great way to put it. And so, Leonie, you had been feeling really distraught that morning. Did it comfort you? 
to see the mist? Did it help you that morning? A hundred percent. I think I, I cried for the first time since losing her, which was very sudden. And you don't allow yourself to grieve when you're packing up your parents' home and things like that. You don't allow yourself that, that gift of grieving and grieving is a gift. It was like my ma was saying, it's okay, you're allowed to cry. You're allowed to grieve. And moving her furniture, my, my parents' furniture, was one of the last things we did in their home. So it was like, everything's fine. Everything's okay. And it was a cry of relief, I think, and, and the gift of grieving. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it was around, if I've got the chronology right, I think it was around this time that you began to uh, be visited by a gentleman and a toddler, and they were together. Yes. Tell us about this lovely duo. It was the oddest thing. It was just after my mother had passed that I started being visited by a toddler who was accompanied by a very tall man. I wouldn't see them all the time and they would never cross the threshold to my bedroom. For the first several years after I lost my mother, I would see them quite frequently. But the little toddler was growing. Over the years. Over the years, he was growing as as a timeline, as a human timeline, a physical timeline. The older man, no, he stayed the same. But as this young man was growing, like in the beginning he would hold the old man's hand and then he got to a certain age and he wouldn't hold his hand. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't a thing then. And for the first five or six years, oh, no, longer, nine years, I would see them really quite regularly when, when I was stressed or upset. They would just appear and be there and I was always comforted by it. And then as those years have gone on, it would be when I've moved house and they'd be like, we're still here. And now that young man is in his 20s, but he still appears with the old man and I don't know who either of them are. And are they, is there anything that could identify them in their clothing or the era that they're from? Nope, nothing. The young man is dressed as fashionably as any young man is today. The older man, his clothing hasn't changed. So I would put the old man somewhere in the 60s, but the young lad, I don't know where he's come from or who he is or who he's from, but... And he is now a young man himself. And I've recently moved and it was the second night that I was here that they were like, hello. Yeah, the old man hasn't changed and the younger man has just gotten older and more fashionable. He's in his, oh gosh, mid-twenties now? It's the oddest thing. It's odd. But yeah, I was two nights here before they showed themselves. I'm going to suggest something. I wonder if you've ever considered the possibility that the boy is the the baby you lost that you were telling your mum about that day when you were in your 30s. I have considered that and I know he's not mine. I know he's not mine. But somehow we're connected. Somehow, some way, some... I know I'm not the only woman in my family to have lost babies, but I don't... We're not connected. Well, not not on this realm. We're not connected okay. by, by blood. Yeah. Not on this realm. But for some reason, he's mine. Maybe a past life. Possibly a past life. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. Not mine this time round. Okay. But, um, and I think the trigger is in the older man who's with him. I think the answer is in the older man who's with him. But I don't know who he is either. <laughs> so. Yes, he may have something to do with your family, with your parents and, you know, with mum and dad gone, there's no Possibly. way. I mean, unless, yeah, photo albums, I don't oh, know. Oh, we've done all that. <laughs> You've done all that over the years. <laughs> My sisters and I, yes, yes, no, 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 no. We've done all of that. We've tried. We've really tried. But, oh, wow. Um, well, it sounds like a beautiful mystery. And because you were saying that in this new home, you've only just moved in two weeks ago. They appeared. Within two days, wow. my second night, my second night. They're attached. I just don't know what the attachment is yet. Again, and maybe you're not supposed to. That's right. Maybe you're not supposed to. Yes. I think it's really important sometimes to understand that it's not all about what you know. It's about what you believe and what you accept. Really important. 
I'm so glad you said that because there is such a tendency for us to try and understand and know everything and mystery is is a very beautiful thing, you know, and we have to respect it. It can be, yes. Certainly when there's no threat or upset or anything like that attached to it, I think sometimes you just have to go with the flow and let things be. really important to do that and I guess you know from past experiences the theme of your so sort of the overarching theme of your story seems to be this spirit support that you have had all through your life starting from when you were five years old you know actually going back to when you were three and your grandma is with you yeah playing with you with you yeah you are supported and loved and it's as if they're letting you know that it is and I think I feel sorry for people who get messages and discount them. I think even if you get the messages and you don't tell anybody but secretly on the inside you're a little bit chuffed and comforted, I think it's important to actually acknowledge that within yourself, even if you don't speak to it about other people because a lot of people don't get it, a lot of people don't understand. And that's okay too. We all have different paths and different levels of belief as well. So I think it's important just to embrace what you have and whether you tell somebody or not what's going on, even if you just acknowledge it to yourself and it gives you that nice, warm feeling, that that's really all that matters. Yeah, okay, I love that. So, yeah, don't discount the experience and even if you don't feel ready to share with another, still keep it as something important. 100%. Make sure that if something warms your heart, it warms your heart for a reason. And certainly yeah. it sounds like the apparitions of the, the gentleman and the boy who's now a young man, they always come with a warm feeling for you. They always do and it's almost like we're here, we know where you are, we're protecting you and that's what I feel. I feel very protected when I see them. I didn't at first because the young lad was so young but as he's gotten older and as he's grown into a man and the old man is still with him, I, I know that I'm safe here. It is a lovely feeling. And so I guess um, we're almost at the end now, Leonie. I wondered if if I asked you sort of since we talked for Spirit Sisters and since I wrote your story in Spirit Sisters, mm. what has been the most memorable, astounding, moving experience that you've had since, since we've last spoken? I think honestly being told to get out of the car because that, that was being shouted at me and knowing where the car ended up and knowing what would have happened to me had I remained in the car is the most significant thing that's probably happened in my life. I'm not a brave person. I'm not a courageous person. Like I'll do what I need to do to keep my head above water, but <clears throat> throwing myself out of a car that's doing 20 or 30 Ks is not one that I would choose to do, but being told to get out of that car and doing it and being so surprised I was alive when I stopped because when I threw myself out of the car and I rolled with the momentum, I wasn't expecting to be alive. I I was so surprised. I remember sitting up in the rain on the wet grass going, oh, okay, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And I watched the car keep on its journey and, and crash into the to the lake and just being so grateful I was I was actually even still here. Whoever's voice that was, I'm eternally grateful. And you were you touched earlier on the idea that that was not neither of those times, none of those times that you came close to, you know, such peril to or to death. They weren't your time to go because there's something perhaps you spoke about your purpose. What do you think what do you think it is? I've said for several years now that I wanted to become a counsellor. I am at the moment unable to work because of the accident. But come next year I'm actually going to start studying to become counsellor and I think I'm going to become a grief counsellor. I've been yeah. trying to work it out. I've been trying to work out what sort of counsellor I would like to become and where I would be most useful. And I think because of the outlook I have on death, the experiences I've had with death personally and externally, that I could help people pass a lot more easily. So grief counsellor, but as part of that, you're thinking of perhaps being by the bedside of people who are passing. I'm actually thinking, have you ever heard of a, a birth doula? Yeah, and there are death doulas too. Yeah, yeah. thinking of death doula. 
you would just be so amazing, Leone, in that role. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thinking that that's where my path is going to lie. I get a bit goosebumpy when you tell me that. That feels oh, well, really. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I have no fear of death for several reasons. One, I've been there and it wasn't scary. Two, people I've loved and lost have come back to me to let me know they're okay. And I think when you're facing your own mortality, and especially if whatever upbringing you've had has taught you to fear death, I think that you you need to have somebody who can take that fear away from you from a very personal perspective. So I think that that's what I'm going to concentrate on. Well, it sounds like it's an incredibly profound employment, and it's more than employment, it's a calling, isn't it? It is a calling. It's taken me a long time to get here, but I think I've actually found it now. I'm really happy for you, Leonie. That's lovely. It's really lovely Thank to know. Thank you, Karina. Thank you. Oh, it's just been an absolute delight to speak with you. Is there any last thoughts that you'd like to leave us with before we go today or anything you'd like our listeners to, to take away from the stories of your life? Just listen to what's around you and don't discount it. The most insignificant thing can have the most profound effect. So always be aware of what's around you, but live your best life. Thank you, Leonie. Thank you, Karina. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.